but I believe we need to ready ourselves for a revival. But before we preach on that this evening, I want to preach for a few minutes out of Acts chapter 27 this morning. Message that the Lord laid on my heart that I trust that God has for some that are here, for everyone that is here this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. Now, to give you a little context, Paul, of course, has been arrested. He has uh, been under house arrest for a number of years. Finally, he appealed to Caesar. So as a Roman citizen, he has a right to stand before Caesar. He is now being sent to Rome. Uh, he is on a sailing ship. Uh, they have gotten part of the way there, but they have stopped because of the weather. And now, all of a sudden, something happened that we wish would happen around here. The weather seemed to get a little better. And uh, the Bible says in verse number 13, "...when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. When the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat." which when they had taken up, they used helps in undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand straight sail, and so were driven. We being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars appeared in many, in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. When the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. Then fearing, lest we should have fallen upon rocks, notice this phrase, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. We're here, Lord, because when you do something, you always do something spectacular. We've come here today believing that you have a desire to do something spectacular in our lives, to work in our hearts, to stir us, to draw us closer unto thee. Lord, I, I trust and hope and pray there ain't nobody here today to play church but we have come to be the church and to have church. And I pray, Lord, that Your Spirit, Your presence would be very real, very manifest in this place as You work distinctly in the hearts of those that are here. Lord, help us to respond in obedience to Your working, and we'll be sure to give You the glory for it. Father, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As Paul and his companions are sailing, the Bible says that a fierce wind, a grievous storm named Eurocladon began to blow around them. And as the situation just got worse and worse and worse, and I found this, that storms oftentimes are progressive in that sense. 
Uh, most of the time, it doesn't start with a big clap of thunder and an opening of the heavens. Usually it starts with a few raindrops. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And the closer you get to land, isn't that interesting? The closer they got to land, the worse the storm got. Oftentimes it gets worse before it gets better. But praise God, one of these days it is going to get better. And as they get close to land, they recognize the danger that they're in. The Bible says that they took four anchors, one for each side, and cast them out of the stern and sought to somehow find some semblance of position, of stability, of security, of safety, and of normalcy in the middle of the storm. Now, here in a few moments, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I'm going to give you four anchors that you and I, when the storms arrive in our life, can cast out. Because you mark it down, sooner or later, uh, better or worse, every one of us is going to face a storm in our life. I don't care who you are, the old preacher said, and there's a reason we all say the old preacher said, because it's been being said so long, we don't even know who the old preacher is that said it. I heard that some old preacher said it, and he probably heard that some old preacher said it, and he probably heard that some old preacher said it. But some old preacher somewhere once said that you're either going into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or coming out of a storm. They are a product of the human condition and experience. And because of that, I think it would behoove us to recognize what we need to do in the storm. You know, a famous boxer once said, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth. And oftentimes in our life, we have all the plans in the world. But when the storm arises, we're very often paralyzed by fear and by disheartenment and by confusion. And we got anchors sitting all around us that we never drop, that we never utilize. And so I want to give you this morning four anchors when your storm comes that you can let down to gain some help from the Lord. Before we do, let me make a few statements about this storm because I think it will let you understand just exactly the kind of experience that we're talking about. Look with me back in verse number 13. Now, I'll admit to you, we picked up a little bit in the midst of a narrative. If you want to know really where all this begins, it begins way, way back in about chapter number 21, or excuse me, chapter number 23 when Paul goes to Jerusalem. And one could even say it begins earlier than that. But this story begins several chapters earlier. But the immediate scene sort of begins at the beginning of chapter 27. When Paul is put on this ship and they sail off, they make a haven at a certain port. Uh, Paul warns them that they should not uh, go ahead and loose from port and sail because it's dangerous conditions and God had already warned them against it. But the Bible says that, uh, that the centurion listened to the master of the ship more than he listened to Paul and so they sail on. But we pick up in verse number 13 for a reason. Because I want you to notice what happens here. The Bible says in verse 13, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. Now I tell you, some of us woke up this morning and the wind blowing softly. Some of us woke up and we've got problems, but by and large, everything's going pretty good in life. We're not facing any major obstacles. And I hate to do this to you, but I can't help but point out the next word, verse 14. The Bible says, But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. Let me say this, that this storm left them disturbed. Very often in our life, one moment the winds can be blowing softly and one appointment, one phone call, one instance, one interaction, and everything can change. 
There's people sitting right now, and I know this because I've been in these places. There's people sitting right now down at the emergency room of each and every hospital around here that this morning the wind was blowing softly, but now the storms are raging. The fact is, none of us are promised a tomorrow, let alone that tomorrow is going to be as good as today is. This was a disturbing element, and everything in your life can change at a moment's notice. Now, I don't say that to scare you, but I do say it to sober you, because there's a temptation when the wind's blowing softly to just sit back and say, well, I don't need this, I don't need this truth, everything's fine, everything's good, but I got news for you. There's folks that was doing a lot better yesterday than there are today. There's folks doing a lot better today than they will be tomorrow. You might go from blowing softly, the wind is comfortable and warm and comforting, and then the next moment everything falls to pieces. So you better be ready when the time comes. Look down at verse 15. The Bible says this, And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. I will forego making a joke about women drivers there. Verse 16 says, And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. Later on, Paul says in verse number 21, and this is Paul's sort of I told you so moment, but he said you shouldn't have sailed, you shouldn't have loosed from Crete and to have gained this. And I, I, I think these words are interesting. He says, harm and loss. Let me say number two, this storm left them disturbed, but it also left them damaged. There were some pains that they went through. There were some hurts that they experienced. There was some harm that came their way. And there were some lasting effects of what transpired on the whole of that ship. The Bible says that they took that ship and, and, and they uh, brought it as close as they could to land and they, they put helps underneath it and they, they tried to undergird it and they scabbed on some boards and they resealed and, and applied some more pitch. But this storm had left this boat irrevocably changed. And the fact is, we all have this idea sometimes. I, I don't know what it is. We all have this idea that in life, because God's good and God is good, and because God loves us, because God saved us, uh, because God's salvation is not dependent upon or predicated by our good works or righteousness, sometimes it's easy to think that it's almost like we, we feel that life's playing with kid gloves. And I think sometimes as believers there's a temptation to believe that that somehow at the end of the day all the guns are shooting blanks. At the end of the day all of the uh, tricks and all of the stunts are, are choreographed and, and there's netting and wires up. I'm here to tell you that there are times in life where we face things that leave us damaged. There are real dangers in our life. There are times, I can promise you that God will be good tomorrow. I can promise you that His promises will never fail. I can promise you that He will still be the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I cannot promise you that the ship of your life will not endure some damage. There are times that some of the things that we face, we do experience some loss and we do experience some damage. Then look at verse 18. This is a a heartbreaking scene. The Bible says, and we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest the next day, they lightened the ship. Now that's not that astonishing unless you recognize that in a naval setting, you don't start throwing, everything on that ship is there for a reason. They ain't bringing nothing because they just want to have it. Especially back in this day, everything, they would have said everything in that ship is a necessity when they were packing it up and loading it. So when they're throwing things over, they ain't throwing over things they don't need. Uh, they're, they're not throwing over the, the jukebox and the flat screen TV. They're throwing over things they brought because they thought they'd need them. But then look at the next phrase, verse 19, And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. Let me say this, that this 
storm left them discouraged and disheartened. When it says the tackling of the ship, what it literally means, all, all the ropes that they had, all of the uh, implements, utensils that they had, and, and tools to operate the ship and to effectively sail. I don't know if it went so far. I wouldn't imagine it went so far as the sails themselves. But basically, they threw off everything they needed in order to get home. And this was their way of indicating that there was no turning back, that they expected to die in this boat. Let me say that storms sometimes can leave us at such a place of discouragement that we cannot look past the clouds to see God's promises. And sometimes we can let ourselves get so low that we start throwing out the tackling of the ship. This isn't, listen, this is not my message, but there's been a lot of believers that when the storms came, they got so disheartened that they threw out their Bible, they threw out their prayer closet, they threw out their church family, they threw out uh, their relationship with the Lord, they threw all them things out. They said, what's the point? We're just going to sink anyway. And if you're not careful, you and I can get to that place too. Then look at verse number 20. Again, someone with no nautical background or that hasn't thought carefully about it may not see any significance here, but the Bible says in verse 20, "...and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away." Now, you and I, we'd probably give at least a $10 bill for a little sunshine right now. Am I right? I told my wife we was going through a drive-thru this morning, and I was having to do that thing where you, you, you pull up under that little awning that's about this big, and, and you order, right? And I'd pull up to the awning, and I'd roll my window down, and I'd give my order. And then they'd take my and I'd have to roll my window back up and pull forward to the next little bitty awning, and then otherwise I'll drown. If I leave that window open between those, those two awnings. And I told her, I said, man, I, I cannot wait for the day that I don't have to roll my window back up in between awnings anymore. But now to a sailor, to a navigator, to a captain of a ship, these heavenly bodies have a lot greater significance than merely enjoying the sunshine or being able to get out and uh, enjoy nature. To them, these were the implements of their navigation. And let me say this to you, that a storm, it can leave you disturbed and damaged and discouraged, but it can also sometimes leave you disoriented. The reason that all hope was taken away was because they said to themselves, Even if I can't do anything about it, if I at least understand where we are in relation to everything else, then I can trust that we're headed in the right direction. Did you hear what I just said? All the storms, all the waves, all of the uh, Euroclodon that was pouring down, they said, if at least we can understand where we're at and where we're going, then we'll be okay. But the storm even robbed them of their clarity of understanding. They're now at a place where they look up and all they see is storm. Let me tell you something, believer. That's exactly where the devil wants to get you and me. If he can get us to the place where when we look around, all we can see is storm, then he's got our eyes off the Lord and he's got our eyes on our problems and he's come real close to having us beat. Now, i got news for you. Even if you're at that place this morning, there's still anchors in the ship. But you better be careful because it's so easy to get so focused on your problems that you miss the providence that reigns supreme over your problems. It's so easy to get so focused on the winds that you forget the working and will of God. It's so easy to get so focused on the storm that you miss the Savior. And in those moments, that's when hope is taken away. It's no accident that this is when the hope left them. When all they could see was storm and nothing else. So they did the only thing they could do. 
I'm a big believer when you've got a problem in life in assessing your situation, dismissing unviable options, and setting a clear path forward. If I've got a problem, my wife can tell you this, if we, if I've got a problem, we're trying to figure something out, I will tell her, let's go ahead and ask this question, what can we do? There's a lot of folks that, that die sitting around thinking and wishing about what they can't do. It, it, it would help you, it would help me if instead we'd stop and say, I'm going to focus on what I can do and not worry myself over what I can't do. There was a lot of things they couldn't do. They couldn't make the wind stop blowing. They couldn't make the clouds go away. They couldn't uh, reach down and pick back up that which they had lost. They couldn't un- undamage the ship. They could fix it, but they couldn't roll back the clock. They had one thing they could do, so they did what they could do. They reached for those four anchors, and they threw them out of the ship. And they said, the first step, listen carefully, is to quit spinning and stand still. The first step is to quit spinning, stand still, and let God show us where we are at. When you're in a storm, nothing else, man. Throw those anchors down and grab hold of something firm. Let me give you two things, or four things, excuse me. You thought it was two things. You got excited. Four things. If you want, I can say two things in four parts if that makes you feel better. Let me give you four anchors that I see in this passage. Very quickly. Look back at verse number 25. Paul makes an astounding statement. He says in verse number 25, he's talking to the other sailors. The Bible says in verse 21, After long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, for thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Now here's what he says. Look at verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Let me say, number one, the first anchor you need to drop in your storm is the anchor of faith. You need to be reminded that there's nothing that showed up in that storm that wasn't there before the storm. You need to be reminded that the winds, uh, they may change a lot of things, but they don't change the promises and truth of God. You need to be reminded that the things that you knew when the wind was blowing softly are still true when the winds are beating down upon you. I see three things that he's talking about here. Look at verse 23. He says this, For there stood by me this night the angel of God. Lest we wonder who that is, he's talking about Jesus. You say, how do we know that? Because he says, Whose I am and whom I serve. Number one, you need to remember uh, to have faith in the presence of God. You may have come into this storm, you probably weren't looking for it, you sure weren't begging for it. But God knew what was going to happen, and He has not left you. His same promises. You've been spending your life, quoting Hebrews chapter 13, uh, let your conversation be without covetousness, for as much as is written, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Lord is with us. He promised His disciples before He left this earth. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Uh, He told His disciples that the Spirit of God would be with them, would be in them, would never depart from them. The uh, the omnipresent presence of God is still a reality. You see, we're disturbed by what has showed up in our life, and we have forgotten what has always been there. The fact is, God's presence has always been, in the life of a believer, real and powerful and comforting. And the storm has not changed that. I I didn't put a bunch of thoughts to this, but I do want you to notice two of them very quickly. Notice, first off, His appearance. 
In other words, Paul said, the angel of God, whose I am, whom I serve. Now, something you'll find interesting, if you go back prior to this, the last time that the Lord showed up in His life is back in chapter number 23. We're going to say a word about chapter 23 here in a moment. But for all that time, from that moment, Paul has been in prison. He has been under house arrest. He has stood before kings and rulers. God has been present in his life, but he has not made his appearance known. But the moment the storm shows up, the presence of God shows up in a real way. Now, God was always with him, but God made his presence manifest. He appeared to him. He made himself known to him. And I'm reminded of this, that God always, always, always shows up in our storms. We don't like the storms. I don't like them. You don't like them. We don't like the furnace, but it's in the furnace that He walks with us. We don't like the storm, but it's in the storm that He shows up and performs miracles. You may have not asked for this thing, but don't dismiss the fact that God's present in it. And that He's got a purpose and a plan. I see His assurance. Paul says, whose I am and whom I serve. It's as though Paul is saying, God showed up and reminded me that I belong to Him. That I am His. And this storm has not changed that. Now again, we ain't just talking about a little storm here. For 14 days they couldn't see sun nor moon nor stars. For, for weeks they have been in this storm. Wish I could tell you storms are always quick. But sometimes they linger. But in this whole time, Paul is reminded that never once has he escaped God's providential hand. There can be a lot of things the storm can rob you of, but it cannot rob you from God's watchful care and His effectual presence. He had faith in God's presence. Look at verse number 24. The Bible says that when the angel showed up, Paul said, this angel showed up and said this to me. He said, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. He had faith not only in the presence of God, but he had faith in the promise of God. This is particularly significant because, as I told you, the last time God spoke to him was in chapter 23. Verse number 11, the Lord said, uh, And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. What Paul's saying is this, The Lord showed up in my storm and reminded me that the plan has not changed. He had faith in God's plan and in God's promise. You know, it's funny, uh, we, we said it earlier, uh, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face. And the reason we say that is because it's a surprise, right? It's a surprise. We weren't looking for this. We didn't ask for this. We didn't expect this. We got no plan for this. But we need to be reminded that nothing ever surprises the Lord. And the things that He promised back in chapter 23 were just as true in chapter 27. And the things that God has promised us before we came into our storm are just as true in the midst of our storm. They'll be just as true on the other side of our storm. The promises of God are unshakable and immutable and unchangeable. And the storm can never change that. I don't care what you go through. It is not powerful enough to undo God's nature and to kick Him off the throne. He's still God. He had faith in the promises of God. Look at verse 25. This is interesting. He says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Now that's good news, right? That's encouraging. I mean, that would pack an arena with folks that want to hear that. Verse 26 would empty it out, though. He says this, Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. Paul's message is not just pie in the sky, dreamy, starry-eyed optimism. 
He says, I know there's a storm out here. I know the boat is coming apart at the seams. I know the winds are blowing. But that doesn't undo God's promise. We do need to be reminded, though, that we may have to go through some things because God has a plan and purpose in what He's doing. Let me put it this way. He had faith in God's providence. At this moment, Paul does not know what God's going to do at that certain island. But God knew. In fact, if you were to read in the very next chapter, you find that that island is a little island by the name of Melita. And when they arrive there, Paul is going to gain an audience with all of the inhabitants of that land. In fact, he's going to reach into a bundle of wood and a viper is going to jump out and bite him on the hand. He's going to shake that thing off in the fire and they're going to see the power of God manifest in his life. They're going to believe that he is a God. Now you say, well, preacher, that's not good. No, it's not. Except Paul turns around and then tells them who the true God is and gives them an audience with a man named Publius, who is the, the, the chief man amongst that, that place. And then when Publius's father is laid up sick, Paul goes in and God, by his own power, heals that man. Uh, the witness at Melita could have only taken place in the aftermath of the storm. They would have never been near that island. They sure would have never been on that island. And that group of people would have never heard the gospel had it not been for the storm that came into Paul's life. Paul says, I know we're going to go through some things, but I trust this, we're not just getting cast upon a island, we're getting cast upon a certain island. God's not just throwing us on any land, God's got a certain land. We're not, listen, this is not an audible, this is not God trying to pick up the pieces from a wrecked master plan, this is part of the plan. And I don't understand what He's doing, and I don't have all the answers, but I trust His providence enough that when I cannot see His heart or His hand, I know I can trust His heart. I know He loves me, I know He has a purpose, I know He has a plan. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from people whose life was in pieces and all I could tell them was merely this, God loves you as much now as He did before. I don't know the plan. I don't know what God's doing. But I do know that God knows what He's doing. And I know that God loves you. And I know God has a purpose in all this. I don't have the answers for it. But I know God has every bit of it under control. Now you can either choose to face your storms that way or you can choose to be thrown around by the waves and the wind. But what you do will not change the truth and reality of the matter. I see the anchor of faith here. Let me give you a second thing. Uh, Look down with me at verse number 30. The Bible says this, as they were coming close to the land and they let down the anchors. You know, the irony is this. If an anchor has something to hold to, it's also in a place where there's some danger for the ship. Uh, And probably if you're having to let these anchors down... Uh, you're going to be nervous. You're going to be scared. You're not going to understand. You're going to have questions. You're going to have anxieties and worry and concern because you probably are in a dangerous place or else there'd be nothing for the anchors to grab to. So let these anchors down. The Bible says this in verse 30, And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. Let me say number two, you need the anchor of faith, number one. Number two, you need the anchor of faithfulness in the midst of your storm. Let me tell you what often happens. A storm comes crashing into our life. We don't know what to do. So we quit doing anything. There's things that we knew were right six months ago that all of a sudden we give up on because we are so stunned and disoriented and thrown for a loop 
by what we're going through, that the very times that we need to remain faithful the most, we oftentimes are the least faithful. It's in these times that we need to not give up. We need to double down. Notice the temptation there. The temptation is always to run. It's always to give up. It's always to get out of the ship because the ship is falling apart. Uh, by the way, and this isn't my message, but it's what leads a lot of people down the road of suicide. It ain't that they think dying's going to be better. It's that they think can't nothing be worse. And they say, well, I just don't know what to do and I don't know how to turn, but I don't think I can live this way, so I'm going to end it all. And they don't have a plan. I'll tell you this, if I was going to be in any boat in the middle of a storm, I'd sure want to be in the bigger boat instead of the smaller boat. They're letting out rowboats in the middle of this storm. The big ship can't make it. Why would they think the little ship can? And at the end of the day, listen, running away from what you know to be true and right, if you're going through a storm right now, and let's assume there are times God is chastening us through storms, but let's just assume for a moment that it's not a chastening storm, that it's a purifying storm, that it's a providential storm. It's not been brought on by our sin, but it's been brought on by God's careful purging and, and perfecting of our life. If you're in a storm now, do you want to add to that the chastening of God? The temptation is to run. Everybody feels that temptation. But that doesn't make it right. Paul clarifies and he gives... A condition, verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. It is a reminder that the, the protection of God, God's promises, His love, His watch care cannot be changed, cannot be touched, cannot be affected by my disobedience. But God's favor in my life most certainly can. And very often, you've heard me say this before, this is, this, I, I want to use this as a precedent, if that's okay. Very often, this is how wicked the devil is. The devil will go into someone's life, he'll get them into sin, they'll make a mess of things, they'll make a thousand wrong decisions, they'll blow their life up, they'll run everybody off from it, and then the devil will turn around and say, the reason you're in this situation is because you've done this, 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 this. He's a rascal that way. You'll get sin in your life. You'll grow dissatisfied with all the things of God. And then he'll turn around and say, you ought not be doing the things of God and laboring in the things of God because they don't satisfy you. And then once you've made a mess out of the whole thing, he'll turn around and laugh at you. Very often in these situations, we want to run. But running is the worst thing we can do. You say, what do we do? Well, God's instruction was to throw down anchor, not to let down boats. And in these situations, the condition is this. You say, but preacher, the ship is sinking. Yeah, but that's also where God's promise and protection is. say, but preacher, things aren't working out the way that I thought they would. No, they probably aren't. But God is still in control over every bit of it. I see in this passage that there is a temptation, there is a condition. Verse 32, there's a solution. The Bible says, then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. There's a real good way to do away with the temptation to run, and that's to cut the boats off. You know what this would be likened to? You say, preacher, well, what do I do in my life? What does that mean to me? You make a firm-hearted commitment that no matter what happens, you're not going to quit on God. I can't tell you how many times I've had to do this. I was riding across the Indian Reservation up with Brother Trivet one day, and he was telling a story uh, about how that in, in every time the Sioux Indians would go to battle, they would have someone, I can't remember exactly what he called it, but it was someone that would carry a spear with a, a big, long uh, sash on that spear, a big, long banner. And before the battle would ever start, it was a great sign of honor and of bravery amongst the Sioux Indians for whoever bore that thing to ride out into the middle of battle, get off their horse, 
kill their horse and plant that spear right in the ground. And by doing that, it was their declaration that come what may, I'm not leaving this battlefield. My horse is dead. I ain't running. I'm here to stay. I looked at Brother Trivet. I said, you've had to plant your flag a few times up here, haven't you? He said, I have. And everybody that's served God and lived for God and walked with God, you've probably had some times that you had to ride out into the middle of the battle, kill your horse, plant your flag, and say, if I die here, I die here like Esther of old. If I perish, I perish, but I'm not going to run. Let down the anchor of faithfulness and make up your mind that come what may, you're not going to give up on God. The ship may fall apart, the waves may overflow you, you may die in this storm, but I'm not going to turn my back on God. I'm here to stay. I see the anchor of faithfulness. Let me give you a third thing. And it's found in Paul's comfort, or comfort that he gives to his companions. Look down with me at verse number 33. This may be something you've not thought about. The Bible says this, after these boats, the ropes have been cut, the boats have fallen off. The Bible says, while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And he said, preacher, what's that got to do with my storm? You know what they found in Paul? They found a friend. Somebody that was willing to look to their needs, to their concerns, and someone that was willing to help them and encourage them. Now remember, the winds have not stopped blowing. The rain has not fallen. The waves have not settled down. Everything's just as big a mess as it was the day before. And Paul's looking at them and saying, Hey, we've cast our lot with God. We've put our name in with His. We've committed ourselves to His plan. Be of good cheer. Get you something to eat. Rejoice. Give God thanks. It's a reminder, in the midst of our storms, we need to cast out the anchor of friendship. i got news for you. You need people. I need people. I need them all the time, but I especially need them in a storm. No telling what would have happened. I'll tell you this, a lot of people would have died that day if Paul hadn't said, except these abide in the ship, they cannot be saved. A lot of people would have died that day if Paul hadn't been there to say, hey, let's take courage, let's trust God, let's believe Him. Hollywood paints the portrait of the rugged, individualistic, self-made person that don't need nobody riding off on their horse out into the sunset. But the fact of the matter is God created human beings with, a, with an inherent need for companionship and for cooperation and for encouragement. Every one of us need each other. And it is the absolute epitome of arrogance to believe that you can go through this storm on your own. The fact is, this storm touches more than just you. And because of that, like it or lump it, friend, we end this thing together. Let me notice a few things in this passage. Why do we need friendship? Look at verse number 33. While the evening was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that you have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. You know what I find? Nowhere do they say how many days it had been, but Paul was keeping count. I want you to notice that we need friendship because we need compassion. We need folks that care about our condition. 
We need folks that are interested in what we're experiencing. And very likely, in the midst of all this turmoil, they had probably lost count of how many days it had been, but Paul had been watching them carefully and tending to their needs. You know what I'm getting at, don't you? We need each other. Meaning we need the church. We need God's people in the midst of our storm. Because we need folks that are going to love us and show concern and compassion for us. This part of, uh, of getting our eyes off the storm. Uh, very often we... Uh, you know, not only could when they looked up, all they could see was the storm, but also when they looked up, they stopped looking at each other. Paul never did that. You know why? Because he didn't have his eyes on the storm in the first place. We need people that care what we're going through. We need people that are interested in what we're experiencing. This is why every person in this room needs the midweek prayer meeting. You say, but preacher, I work. Well, hey, listen, that's between you and God. But I'll tell you this, we all need encouragement. And we all need people that know what we're going through, are praying for what we're going through, are bearing us up in what we're going through. You need it. I need it. All of us need it. Every single one of us. We need compassion. Look at verse number 34. Paul gives them some advice. He says, Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. We need counsel. They weren't doing what was needful, but Paul told them what to do that would help them. You know why we need friendship? You know why we need the church house? We need instruction. I need instruction. You need instruction. We don't always default to the right decision. You understand that, right? We don't always just instinctively do the right thing. So we need God's people to be there to give us counsel on how to do the right thing. Look at the end of verse number 34. After this, Paul says, For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. We need comfort. We need to be reminded that things are not as bad as we think they are. You know, that's part of the reason we're all going crazy today. We all sit around on social media and 24-hour news and look at badness. Wickedness, depressing. That's all we do. We just consume it 24-7. I heard someone say the other day, if you'd turn off the TV and go outside, you might be surprised what a great country we live in. That's the truth of the matter. And the fact is, we need God's people. Somebody to be there to say, I know the winds are blowing, I know the storm is raging, but God's still in control. Be of good cheer. God's got this under control. We need comfort and we need confidence. Look at verse number 35. Paul says, or the Bible says, when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And I wrote out this word beside the word confidence. Leadership by example. You know why you need God's people? Because you need to see other people going through storms. You know what Paul did after he told them what to do? After he gave them instruction? After he gave them encouragement? He didn't sit around waiting on somebody else to grab the first biscuit. He said, I'm going to get it. I'm go- you all do what you want. But I've made my mind up that God's in control. I've made my mind up that God's got this all covered. And he reached out. He grabbed the bread. He broke it. He blessed it. He ate it. If there's anything we can do, we can do that. Amen? You need to see that there's other folks going through storms. And guess what? Making it through the storms. You're not the first one to pass this way. You won't be the last. And God is able. And you need to see that in the lives of others. You see other people leading by example. Let me give you one more anchor and I'm done. We need the anchor of faith, the anchor of faithfulness, the anchor of friendship. Look down at verse number 37. The Bible says this, And we were in all in the ship, two hundred, three score, and sixteen souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. 
What significance does that bear? This is the thought that came to my mind. We need the anchor of focus. The anchor of focus. You see, when they threw the tackling out of the ship, they threw the tackling out of the ship because they thought we ain't never coming back this way. But when they threw the wheat out of the ship, they threw the wheat out because they said, we ain't going to need this any longer. God's getting ready to rescue us. If you thought you was going to live and die out at sea, the last thing you'd throw off was the wheat. And that's why everything else they threw off, they hadn't thrown off the wheat. They threw off the tackling in despair. They threw off the wheat in determination. And they said, you know what they said? We don't need this no more. We don't need this no more. God's going to see us through. God's going to bring us through. We don't need this no more. They got their focus on their rescue and on what really mattered. I see two things here. Number one, I see a right perspective. It's interesting when you consider the details that are found here. Now, I believe the Holy Ghost read every word of my King James Bible. I, you, uh, I believe it even if no one does. I believe God wrote every word of my King James Bible. I can give you the history. I can go through all that too. But I believe at the end of the day that God preserved His holy inspired word in my King James Bible. So I recognize the Holy Ghost wrote all this. But I also recognize that He used human agency to pin it down. And He did not dismiss or ignore their experiences. So Luke, being the meticulous physician that he is, he keeps a record of all these things. And and he says that they had to the exact number, how many what? Souls were in the ship. Now how could they possibly know that except they had been keeping count? And I find it interesting, Luke's account is basically Paul's account. And they don't describe how many bodies. They have no record, by the way, of how many boxes of wheat they had. They have no record about how many sails they have, about how many coils of rope they have, about how many uh, crates of supplies that they had. But they have a detailed log of how many souls were on that ship. I believe it's an indication to you and I that they had their heart and head in the right place. They weren't worried about the ship. A ship is just a ship. They had their eyes on how many souls were in that place. You know, one of the things that will help you in the midst of a storm is to get your eyes off all the things that don't matter and get your eyes on what really does matter. You know, very often, the effects of a storm are so much more severe than they have to be because we are obsessively addicted to temporal matters. I'll tell you right now, listen, if I come into financial hardship, I'm thinking about everything I'm going to have to do without. I'm thinking about what am I going to have to sell? What am I not going to be able to do anymore? What am I, this or that? If I'm facing a a trial with my health or whatever it might be, I'm thinking about what I can't do anymore, what I enjoy doing that I'm not going to be able to do anymore. If it's something with a relationship with people, very often I'm thinking, well, that's going to affect this, that's going to affect that. And one of the things that helps me when I'm going through a storm is to get my eyes off of all those things that are under God's jurisdiction and get my eyes on what really matters in it all. What really matters in all of it ain't the stuff, it's the souls. What really matters is not the temporal, it's the spiritual, it's the eternal. What really matters is not that my life be as comfortable as possible, but that my life be as consecrated as possible and that God gain the most glory out of my life. He gets a right perspective. And then we see a rigorous purging. They throw the wheat over. I'm not going to preach it. I've already preached it. But suffice it to say, anything that would have caused them to want to stay on that boat, they said, let's get rid of that. Anything that would have got their eyes off of God's promises, they said, let's get rid of that. They took inventory of the ship. 
They ate their fill. They ate one last meal and they said, all right, anything that tries to keep us here, anything that tries to keep our focus in the wrong place, we're going to get rid of it. We're headed for land. We're trusting God. We know He is faithful. And we're not going to need anything that's going to keep us from depending upon Him. A lot of us would be helped in our storms if a lot of that stuff that we're so scared of losing, we'd just let go anyway. It ain't about that stuff. It's about the Lord. I trust Him. He's in control. He's going to bring me through this thing. And you know what you'll find? You'll find that those four anchors have the ability to ground you, to stabilize you, to quit you from the spinning that started the moment that the wind started blowing has the ability to put you in the place that God wants you to be in.